Hey, what's up? This is JM, host of the Celebrity Grill Podcast on iTunes, and you're listening to the Barbecue Central Radio Network. All barbecue and grilling, all the time. Barbecue! Let's go! Do it live. Do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! So to get that perfect barbecue, you use wood. Are you sure it's safe? Whatever. We put the lighter fluid on, strike the match, and... Should we call the fire department? That might be a good idea. And welcome to the Really Big Barbecue Central Show. This is a show that talks about all things important in the world of barbecue and grilling. The show originates from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame city of Cleveland, Ohio. The barbecue capital of the North Coast. I am your program host, Greg Rempe. Happy to have you aboard here on your Tuesday evenings. Live fire fun and the show. If you are ready to jump in tonight with your live fire take of any and all regards and you don't know how to get in touch with me, here's how you do that. You can get in touch with the show by sending an email to greg at bbqcentralshow.com or on the Twitter and Instagrams at BBQ Central Show. Anything else you'll want to find out about the show can be found at the main website, thebbqcentralshow.com. And here's what's happening in case you get the newsletter, and it's a really big barbecue show this evening. In about 12 minutes from now, we have the first Tuesday of a brand new month regular guest, the creator of How to Barbecue Right, the pit master of Killer Hogs barbecue competition team. And we have his... YouTube pal, his colleague, a man who is a champion cook on his own right, both KCBS and Steak, and at the home, he's got his own YouTube channel, he was on the show for the first time a couple of weeks ago, all in the same house tonight, it's going to be Malcolm Reed, yes, and, that's right, Mr. Swine Life, yes, is anybody ready for that, yes, of course you are. That's going to be the first segment. So all of a sudden, I'm worried that we're not going to have near the amount of space to cram both of these stars into one segment. But I'm very happy that uh, both of them are up for it. So we have plenty to talk about. We're going to get a big recap on the Galax Virginia contest. We will also talk about their most recent recipes. I don't know if you've been to Malcolm's YouTube recently or not, but there's some ridiculous meatball barbecue sandwich that he has going on with lots of bread and beef and pork and cheese and sauce. Also, I want to talk to uh, Mark about this Chuck Eye steak. I have a whole take on Chuck Eye steak, believe it or not. And I'm going to ask him all about it. And I'm going to leave it there for now. But we'll pick it up here in a few minutes. Then 35 past the hour. We'll move to first-time guest and really the creator of something called the Evo Cooker or the Evo Grill or whatever you want to talk about. One of the hottest things that has hit the live fire industry as far as ways to cook is flat top, right? Yes. Blackstone, ridiculously crazy. There's been a lot of other Me Too like the Blackstone products. But what about the upper echelon of flat top cooking implements? Evo is the one that created it all, and I will have the creator of the Evo, Bob Shingler, first time. Really looking forward to talking with Bob and seeing how that whole thing got started, where they are at today. Then we'll move to the second hour, where 14 past the hour, since it is the first Tuesday of a brand new month. Another YouTube sensation that will be joining me, of course, Sam, the cooking guy, is back on. He is headlong into shooting for his new cookbook that's getting ready to be coming out and hitting the stands. A lot of pictures being taken over the course of the week. So we'll be talking to Sam about getting that book ready and packaged to sell. I'm sure it's available for pre-order at this point. 
We'll also be talking about the new cast iron skillet that he has out. I have one right next to me, but it's very heavy. I don't want to have to pick it up unless I absolutely necessarily have to, which I will in the second hour to show off. And we have some other items to talk about as well. And then coming out of the bullpen this evening at 1035 is none other than the founder of M Grills, Travis McGee. Is there a hotter grill right now? I'll talk to these guys here at the do SEA contest here in just a few minutes. Is there a hotter grill on the market right now than M Grill? Certainly they've been around the state game for quite some time. They've had the ammo can. They've had uh, the M1 or was there like flagship product originally that wasn't really a competition cooker but it was really nice for the backyard and now they have the m16 grill and boy oh boy is there a hotter brand on the market right now especially when it comes to competition steaks than m grill i doubt it and we'll rejoin travis mcgee for the second time here on this show so that's how the show sets up if you want to get in touch with me hit me up 216-220-0966 or greg at the bbq central show.com don't forget, you can follow me socially, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and the Snappers at BBQ Central Show. Also, for a live video feed, you can go to Facebook and Twitch slash BBQ Central Show or on YouTube slash RD Rempe. And don't forget, you can get ad-free podcast feed experiences, if you're so inclined, in two different places. You can become a patron over at my Patreon page. Picked up a handful of those over the course of the week, patreon.com slash BBQ Central Show. Or you can subscribe directly into the Apple Podcast app if you so desire, or just listen to me all the way through with ads, and that's fine as well. A ton of you emailed me over the course of the past week letting me know how much you loved first-time guest last week, Ben Biebenroth from Spice Acre Farm. Again, a local Cleveland guy, a greater Cleveland guy. He's, for me, south and a little bit east. Within an hour's drive. If you miss the live show, you can go back, grab the podcast at your convenience. And I have to agree with you. All Of all the great first-time guests that we've had for many weeks in a row now, by the way, this is like the 14th week where we've had at least one new guest who's never been on this show before. We continue that stretch here this, uh, this evening. But of all of the great first-time guests that I have had on the show for weeks in a row now, Ben has to be one of the best, and you could really hear his passion for not only cooking, but teaching people about food itself and then trying to have them connect immediately with it while they were touring a Spice Acre farm. Since he was giving the example, kids never had kale. You immediately pull the kale out of the ground, clean it. Did you make a salad dressing? Then you have eat it right there while you're in the field and draw that immediate connection to make you appreciate food more. So it was a really great segment. I look forward to having him back on the show at the end of September. It's already booked where we'll be talking about Boom's Pizza, which is his pizza concept. Listener feedback from the show as well. Jesse in New York writes, Greg, as you were leading out of the opening monologue last week, I heard, I heard, <laughs> or in proper English, I heard you use terms I don't ever recall hearing anyone use before. Those terms were, and I quote, generally amenable, moderately neato, definitely not unwell. I use the first two all weekend long. I usually listen to the interviews and find your rants to be a bit verbose and dramatic. <laughs> However, this time I was laughing out loud, and then I used the terms immediately and throughout the weekend. Thank you for the help. Love the show. Regards, Jesse. Jesse, thank you for writing in. Verbose. I don't think I've ever accused of being verbose. Dramatic me? Never. Mike in Virginia writes, Greg, I think one of your instant chat folks hit on something last week as the show was going on. I can't speak for everyone else, but... I think it would be worth a segment to do a sound drop or sound effect history for all of us. Like your chat guy said, I can make out most of them, but some I don't understand. And more importantly, I would like to know where they all came from and what context they were originally used in. I think it would be great fun and would be a good show history lesson for all of us. Love the show. Mike in Virginia. Mike, thanks for writing it. 
I have to agree, Mike. I forget exactly who was in the chat that said it because then it was top of the second hour. We ran back and realized that a sound drop was Gary Vaynerchuk, multi-millionaire who used to appear on the show, saying, you know what, Lavernia, shut your face. And people, I don't understand what that guy's saying. So we sussed it out. We all understood what he was saying at that point. And then I put it into proper context because hearing somebody say, hey, so-and-so, shut your face, there's no context to that. You don't know what people are saying or what angle they're driving at. So we were able to put that one in perspective. It was good. So I, I might look to do that. It would be fun. All right. You guys are in the green room. I'll talk to you quickly about Primo. Uh, no, actually, I'll talk to you quickly about brand new sponsor of the show, Yukon Glory. Yes. Have you been there? Yukonglory.com. I want to talk to you about the grill and serve set. It's an absolute revolution when it comes to the landscape of grilling baskets. You know, I've always hated two things about using grilling baskets during my cooks. One, I have to wear some kind of heat-resistant glove to take the things on and off the heat because they get really hot. Two, it gets grease and oil over my table or my counter or wherever the hell I'm putting it when I set it down to surf. And being someone who has been known to be a little bit of a clean freak, that isn't something I can really get down with. So what's a live fire cook to do? Where's the fix? Enter a great product from Yukon Glory called the Grill and Surf. This patented design fixes everything. The set includes three stainless steel grill baskets, which are moved by a clip-on handle that seamlessly grips the interior of the basket for easy lifting and dropping. The set also has a large custom-fitted stainless steel serving tray to catch any drips and allow for a beautiful table presentation as well. Perhaps in my case, and more importantly, leaves you with a clean table when everybody's done eating. Thank you, Yukon Glory. Now, what should you, as a cook, use them for? I'm glad you asked. These are perfect for veggies, perfect for seafood. How about wings? How about tacos? And meat of all types. Welcome on these griddle baskets. If you can think of it, you can use it on the grill and serve. As far as where you can buy it, small upstart mom and pop shops like Walmart, <laughs> Amazon, <laughs> Home Depot, Lowe's. You ever heard of Target? They have them there too. Of course, you can go to yukonglory.com. And I would say this because I know the Central Lights love a deal. If you would like to get 10% off your entire order, Go to the website, yukonglory.com, and use promo code the number 10, 10, the numerals, 10 central, 10 central, all lumped together for a 10% discount all August long. Follow them on Instagram and Facebook at yukonglory. It's a grill and serve, and we are back right after this. Stick around. Casting live from the Barbecue Central Show Studios in Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rempe. All right, welcome back. This portion of the show being brought to you by the Barbecue Guru, creators of automatic pit temperature control technology, sellers of ceramic cookers with built-in power draft fans, and accessories to make your barbecue and grilling life easier. Visit bbqguru.com for more information or give them a shout at 800-288-GURU. The Barbecue Guru continues to be a breakthrough in barbecue technology. First Tuesday of the month brings a visit from the co-founder of How to Barbecue Riot, the pitmaster of Killer Hogs Barbecue Team. And since he's in the house, how about Mark Williams to boot? We race to the hotline and welcome in both. 
Mark Williams, and Malcolm Reed right there. Gents, thanks for hanging with me here this evening and appreciate everybody jumping in so we can uh, do a little bit of a group recap of the Galax Virginia contest. Uh, Jason Baumgartner had been on a couple weeks after Malcolm had just maybe casually mentioned that he was heading off there in a few weeks because there were some really cool pieces of hardware, if you want, namely fiddles and guitars and banjos and things of this nature. So uh, we'll get to that here in just a second. Um, Malcolm, let's start with you uh, from a uh, recipe standpoint because I want to make sure that the central lights are on the food game. I saw the smoky meatball sub recipe, and I'm thinking, you know, I know Malcolm is a barbecue guy and a grilling guy, and the meatball sub recipe seemed to come out of left field to me. So where was the inspiration? Uh, by the way, it looked absolutely freaking delicious. Let's get that right out of the way. I mean, it worked, but uh, it just seemed like a little bit of a left fielder for me. So where did the inspiration come from? You know, I'm trying to hurry in football season, Greg. We got all these teams starting up with the preseason practice, preseason games kicking off this week. I think the Cowboys are playing Thursday night. Somebody, who they playing the Steelers, I think, or somebody like that. And I'm thinking football food, so I wanted to kick it off with a big super sandwich and that barbecue meatball sub fit the bill perfectly. Malcolm, who's your NFL team? You know, I'm a Vikings fan, man. Oh, I've, that's right. <laughs> It's it's a hard it's a hard uh, life down here in Mississippi being a Vikings fan, but uh, uh, me and my brother stuck with them ever since we were kids. We saw a preseason game way back when we were little, and we've always followed the the, the purple gold. Are they in contention this year? Uh no, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no. Okay. You never know, man. You never know. Yeah. I've got my hopes up. We we you know we're always hoping to win the division, beat Green Bay, beat the Bears. I'll be happy. Do you have a lot of upcoming recipes that are going to be dealing with tailgating or like football themed stuff then? I always try to work in some for football season. You know, down here we're SEC country. Yep. So we do a lot of tailgating for our college teams. And so I work in some of those recipes that the guys can, you know, prep at home, take to the take to the game or wherever they're watching it with their buddies and, and cook them pretty quick and just something that's good, something that's delicious, and something that's made to drink a beer in one hand and eat in the other. That's what tailgate food's all about to me. So I'll definitely be doing some more this fall. Mark, I was watching your video too, the most recent one, which is Chuck Eye Steak. So I think maybe 10 years ago, maybe it was even longer than that. I think I just had my only my barbecue form at that point. So this was even pre-podcast. And there was one guy from Vermont who said, oh, you got to be on the lookout for these Chuck Eye steaks. He couldn't find them mm -hmm. at all here in Cleveland. They slowly started eking their way into the meat case here and some of the bigger grocery store chains. But I mean, honestly, I never tried them. And then they kind of fell off the face of the earth. I never heard anybody talk about them. And all of a sudden, recently, I'm starting to hear Chuck Eye again. And I've always heard how great they were, but I never just got around to trying them. So uh, what is your introduction to Chuck Eye? Who told, did you always know about them or did somebody introduce you to them? I never heard anything of them until I guess we started, you know, with Kevin down at the butcher shop. We, uh, Brian, a good buddy of ours, went down there. He'd make a run about once a month. He's like, man, he's got some beautiful steaks here. And I was like, what are they? He's like, they're called Chuck Eyes. And they were just marbled up, just beautiful pieces of beef. I said, heck, let's try them. And I think that's about the time Malcolm released a video on it and really lit the fire on them. But, man, they're delicious. You can't sleep on them Chuck Eyes. It's like the best spinalis, but the Wagyu really makes it. We got a couple here local that are just choice and I think prime. And they're great. When you throw that Wagyu in the mix, it's unreal. So is it more of a spinalis cap, but just not necessarily the monetary investment that you would be getting? Because uh, obviously uh, I, I would have, compare it, yeah. I have dealer, uh, dealings with uh, Kevin down at the butcher shop as well, and he can get you anything. So, I mean, if you want just a straight Wagyu Spinalis, he can make that happen, and there's a price point for that. But what about Chuck Eye? What value does it bring to the table? I think you get all the great marbling of that Spinalis, good texture. I mean... They're tender as can be, and like you say, they're half the price of a ribeye. I mean, I think the last ones I got, of course, meat's one up. I want to say uh, 14 or 16 ounces was roughly around 20 bucks of Wagyu. I mean, that's worth it. Malcolm, who introduced you to 
Chuck Eyes. Oh, or, Kevin. Yeah, yeah Kevin Kevin's brought that. Same time Mark got them. Yeah. He was just wanting us to try some different cuts because it was a value cut. And I, th- I want to say that first pack that I cooked, Greg, was like $9 a steak. And <laughs> I put that out there that, that he's got these Wagyu Chuck Eyes for $9 and people went crazy over them. And he's like, man, that's not really the price. It was just <laughs> – but it was – it's somewhere it, – it's it's less than 20 bucks a yeah. pound for these things. I mean, it's, it's you know, they're, they're, it's a lesser cut. And I think we've talked about it before. That's where that Wagyu shines in those lesser cuts of steaks. Of course, you know, a Wagyu strip or filet or ribeye is going to be great. But when you can get, you know, that value on a Chuck Eye steak, a Denver steak, some of these steaks that the butchers know how to cut out of the shoulder that we don't see when we go to Kroger or Publix or wherever, you know, wherever you go to get meat regularly, they don't have cuts like that. But a, a butcher shop like Kevin's or these smaller butcher shops, know what they're doing and if you stick around hang out with them and talk to them they'll turn you onto some cuts that you've never heard of that are fantastic uh mark similar way to cook this as you would any normal steak just whatever your preferred internal temperature is and away you go or you got to do anything special uh i would i wouldn't take it any further medium just because it is a little bit of lesser cut now it's plenty of marble and plenty of fat but i wouldn't take it over medium my preference usually medium rare is good on it because you do when you get that much fat to me a rare steak doesn't shine because you're not giving that fat time enough to start breaking down and start rendering just a touch. And a lot of times it'll have kind of a bad mouthfeel. If you get it on up there about medium rare, a lot of times that gets a lot softer and it's a better bite from, in my opinion. Malcolm, your thoughts? Oh man, I'm medium rare all the way. Um, the, uh, the, with the lesser cuts, those, you know, the, um, they, they tend to be a little tougher if you overcook them. And that's why I steer, steer clear of the, the medium, uh, medium well, or never cook it well. You're ruining a good steak, but if you'll stay in that medium rare to medium range, you're fine. Malcolm Reed and Mark Williams joining me here on the show. You can follow them of course, over at YouTube. Malcolm's got 1.29 million subscribers and, uh, Mark at swine life barbecue has 40.7 <laughs> Uh, 40,000. Makes it sound so pitiful. What is it? 40,700 subscribers, I believe, is what it is. I, don't, I think I have uh, eight subscribers, so I, I would be happy with 40,000 or 1.3 million. Uh, it's no comparison here. Everybody's beating me. Um, guys, let's talk about Galax, Virginia, and the Smoke on the Mountain competition. Uh, Malcolm, as you were forecasting it uh, you know, weeks in advance uh, in your monthly segment, you had talked about how great it was for, for any number of reasons. So as you started to load in there and having taken the year off prior because of obvious reasons, what was it like to get back there and, and did it meet the expectation that you remembered? It was fantastic. But let me tell you, Greg, we, we turned a nine and a half hour trip into 12 and a half hours. So we didn't start off on a good foot. We had some trailer malfunctions. We broke off one of our uh, sway control balls on the on the trailer hitch. We ran into traffic jam after traffic jam on I-40 going east. Finally, we pulled into Galax, and when we got there, we kind of breathed easy. We had all that bad luck off of us. We knew we were going to have a good weekend. It doesn't bother you at all, like when it's when it seems to all be going well. Maybe you could be looking at it in the contrarian point of view, where if it's all going wrong up front, that it could only be clear skies once you get there. Was that the mindset then? That's what I keep telling myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it never fails. On that Galax trip, we, we've had bad luck after bad luck going, but it, we usually end up bringing back a fiddle for all that bad luck. So I'll trade it every time. Uh, tell me about the cook and uh, how you ended up finishing. So we cooked uh, both sides. We cooked the KCBS contest and we cooked the MBN. Uh, Waylon and I ran our, our Memphis and May recipe on the MBN side. We uh, we made top three. We finaled, so we got to do an on-site presentation. We ended up coming in second in the rib category, which we were thrilled with that. The KCBS category, we were I wouldn't say we were a little rusty. It just been a while, but we still got – I think there was only three or four teams. They got four calls in the top ten. We were one of them. Uh, Mark was just ahead of us in every category, so so he he etched us out. Uh, he, he caused us not to get a fiddle a couple times. I think he was third, and we were fourth a couple different times in that ca- contest. But we were happy with overall with our finish. Uh, it was a you know we we got four other uh, Virginia plaques, which those were cool trophies to bring back. And and Mark kind of walked the dog over on the KCBS side of things. Do you have more competition set up then, or was that kind of one and and you have a little bit off now? 
Well, um, yeah, we don't have anything. We're, we're actually hosting a contest here in Hernando. We're helping with a local non-sanctioned contest called the Water Tower Festival. And then uh, me and Mark both have been sitting down figuring out our fall schedule to where we can go hit up three or four more KCBS contests since we seem to be, you know, found, I don't know if we found a little rhythm. Maybe it was just beginner's luck from coming back off, off a long, long hiatus, but uh, we're, we're looking forward to getting back out there and, and putting some more smoke in there and winning some more trophies this year. All right, Mark. So let's go ahead and get your breakdown of how it went uh, a little bit better than Malcolm's final result. So give us a little breakdown <laughs> on that. I'll have to agree with him. A uh, nine-hour trip turned to 12, and I'm the mechanic in the group, so I knew it was going to be a long day. Um, <laughs> but we made it up there. Weather was nice. Had a good time. We had a great cook. Uh, we were all a little rusty. I mean, I've done a few practice cooks here, you know, ramping up for Memphis and May and stuff like that, and we tried a few new recipes, and it paid off. I mean, cook went smooth. Other than a monsoon of a rain right at brisket turn in, which <laughs> I don't think I've seen it rain that hard in a long time, but I was happy with the cook, but you never know. I mean, it's so competitive now. You could cook the best you ever have and still get your butt kicked, and it was just one of them things. The stars aligned. We got rid of all the bad luck on the way, and it all paid out. Do you cook both sides of this event like Malcolm does? We did. We uh, we done NBN ribs in the KCBS four categories, and NBN ribs didn't like us as much. Um, I don't know why. We had a good rib, but you just like you say, there's there's a ton of good cooks out there. I think we ended up finishing 12th in NBN ribs, so – same rib recipe took first in KCBS, so we'll take it any day. How do you account for that? I mean, are the, they're obviously bringing in a whole different set of judges, which means they're bringing in. Well, I guess I don't know that to be the case. Were there similar? Were judges doing both sides on the judging that you know of? Or I don't is that think not so. even allowed? I don't think the time would allow it. Must I mean? Because I want to say we turned in NBN ribs at. 11.45, and chicken turn-in was at 12. So, I mean, oh, wow. there's no possible way that would work out. But Separate turn-in locations, yeah. too. Okay. So, you're just dealing with other people's palates. OPP, but in a different I, way. I think so. And I honestly thought our NBN ribs were better than our KCBS. I mean, when we put them in the box, I was tickled to death. And our KCBS ribs were good, but like I said before, like you really don't know. Ribs is the hardest thing to judge when it comes to turning in because – you're not even remotely getting close to the same rib bone that the judge is eating. You're getting one either side of it. So you try to put the best ones in the box, and what you taste is not what the judges are getting. So you hope it's good, you're close, and you let it fly. Let me ask you both this question because I think we've gotten, at least on this show, pretty far away from the regular competition breakdowns like we used to get seven, eight, nine, ten years on the show or longer where we could have two or three different pit masters. And it was very popular back then and things change, whatever. Is, is it still a mindset of cooking A to tenderness, then worrying about flavor? But when you are considering whatever final flavor you want, are you testing it or tasting it lukewarm? Because I think... There might be for folks getting into it in the beginning, thinking that the judges are tasting hot food. And I'm sure that's a, a goal of the judges and the table captains and the food runners and stuff. But I think more realistically, they're getting lukewarm to cool barbecue to taste. And obviously heat changes things or the lack of heat changes things. So how are you addressing your flavorings and, and how are you, uh, when you're putting that together, how hot is the food that you're trying to make those adjustments on, Mark? My biggest thing is chicken. You know, that's one of the categories that I try to get there early and get it as hot as you can. And chickens, to me, is going it's going to get worse as it gets cooler than any other category, in my opinion. So when I'm cooking chicken at home, I always like to at least wait 20 minutes, and then I try it and see how it holds up. You know, if the skin's still good, if it still has good flavor. But when it comes to the rest of the meat, is make sure that. You know, that judge is only getting one bite. So I always like to finish with a little fine ground sea salt just to have a little bit extra pop. And flavor so subjective, but everybody likes something that's got to pop. And that salt is pretty neutral. It's just going to wake it up. So I wouldn't go heavy on finishing rubs because that could offend somebody. And, you know, salt's usually, like I say, pretty neutral. And most judges love salt. They might not say they do, but they love it. Mm -hmm. Malcolm, how are you figuring out seasonings and all that stuff? Is it on lukewarm food in the end? 
usually when we taste it, it's done. It's cooled off a lot. Um, what I, I mean, we we like to hold our meat, everything except chicken. Like Mark said, we're holding ribs, we're holding butts, and we're holding brisket. So when we bring them out of the Cambros, we're we're glazing them with the warm sauce, but it's not like super hot. We want it just above room temperature. That way, when it sticks to the meat and it cools down, you're still going to have that flavor like you talk about because they're 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 tasting it sometimes 20 minutes after the fact we turn it in uh, because they're gonna they're gonna hold that table until they get a full table of entries. So if somebody's you know, that's on your table is pushing it to the very end, yours is still going to be sitting there. Uh, by the time we turn it in, we're usually at the back half of the window. Chicken's the only one we go uh, right at the beginning of the windows. I, I like that idea, the first thing they taste, being hot, being fresh. But after we set that tone, we're trying to play to our advantage and keep it as close to, you know, as hot food as we can. But I have been gigged for food being too warm. So I don't want to turn it in screaming hot off the pit. I've, I've got a comment card back. Uh, you know, you get some crazy stuff back, but I've had some come back that my ribs were too hot. They couldn't bite it because it was too warm. And I said, well, I didn't know that was possible in KCBS after it sat there on a single bone. Yeah. But uh, that, that it changed our mind frame from, you know, really having that, that final sauce or glaze we're using from it being screaming hot to being just a little over, over uh, room temp, you know, and, makes a big difference to me and we all we you know we also finish it off with a little bit of final seasoning after we taste taste a bite to see if it needs a pop of salt if it needs a bump of heat or if it could just you know be a, a little bit more sweet on the bottom side or something we look for those things to give us that little final punch Malcolm in your opinion you talk to a lot of people I'm sure a lot of pitmasters reaching out to you privately and just having fence post conversations are they saying that there's a general sentiment that competition barbecue seems to be stagnant or on a, a downslide as far as popularity is concerned right now? Uh, you know, I don't know if it seems to be stagnant. I think there's just so many other options of cooking. You know, you've got the SEA, which has really come on and, and put a hurting on some of it. And then you've got a lot of towns that have, you know, with COVID and different things have, have not, are not having contests. Um, I think barbecues is popular ever and, and competition barbecues popular, but it's not what it was five years ago when we were cooking all the time. Definitely. Um, I, you know, I don't, I don't think that there's any less interest. It's just, it's just the times, timing's been bad for, for cooks, you know, for competitions. So I think we're going to see it bounce back. As things come back, people are itching to get out there and compete, and you know, hoping these organizations find a way to, to keep attracting teams and, and younger cooks and kids and the whole thing. Mark, what's your take? I fall right in suit with that. I mean, I think I don't think cooking's going away or competition cooking's going away, but I think it's so many more options out there. I mean, I don't remember near about the many contests that we've seen, and I know KCBS has backed off. I don't think we've had many in North Mississippi as much as we usually do. But there's so many other venues with the steak. I mean, I've never heard of a chili cook-off to like the last two years, and it's like they're blowing up everywhere. So I just think it's so much more out there to people compete in that you've got so many more options, and it's kind of just spread out more. All right, we're going to end it with this, and I hate to do this to you guys, but of course I'm going to do it. It's a Sophie's Choice. Everybody loves Sophie's Choice. And this might be a little different for both of you because of where you're at in your YouTube lives at this point. So, uh, Mark, let me start with you. Would you let your YouTube count go back to zero if I could guarantee that you would win Memphis in May, the Royal, and the Jack all in the same year? Count me in. Yes. I'll go back to zero in a heartbeat. All right. <laughs> now, the big question. Malcolm, would you go back to zero all the way back to the beginning, if I could guarantee that you would win Memphis and May, the Royal, and the Jack in the same year. Oh, in a heartbeat. I'm fixing to be a million on TikTok. I got tick. Do I have to lose TikTok too? Or can I keep my TikTok? No, you keep TikTok, but I mean, YouTube is, I think, where everybody <laughs> has, has found you over the last five or six years. And granted, that TikTok is blowing up like crazy. I mean, you got damn near 700,000 uh, followers on TikTok already as I'm stalking you constantly but so you would go back to zero if you could win all those all three of those you're not even blinking an eyelash i'd retire greg i'd retire that'd be my i would just be my swan song and i'd probably go deliver pizzas or something fair enough well you can find malcolm reed over at how to bbq right.com uh mark tell everybody where they can find you at you can find us at swanlifebbq.com we got youtube instagram tiktok if you got any questions let us know guys appreciate the time and we'll look for you again next month 
Thanks, Greg. All Always right, Greg. a pleasure. There he is. There they are, I should say. Mark Williams from Swine Life and, of course, Malcolm Reed. How to Barbecue Right, killing it as always. Appreciate their insight and their honesty. I got to be honest, I was a little taken aback that Malcolm was so quick to jettison the YouTube fame. <laughs> always easy to say when it's not really something that can happen. Because he, I mean, well, let me rephrase that. Malcolm could has a shot, and so does Mark, winning all three of those. But winning all three of those isn't going to then make their YouTube go to zero. Maybe we can figure out some way to make them bet on that. I don't know. All right, Bob Shingler is in the green room. We'll get to him here in just one second. We'll talk about Evo. I'll talk to you quickly, though, first about Primo Grills. What do we love about ceramic cookers? We love that they are fuel efficient. We love that you can achieve low and slow temperatures for traditional barbecue meats. We also love that you can get rip-roaring high heat for grilling steaks and other thin cuts. But what's missing in the everyday ceramic cooker lineup? The real ability to do true two-zone cooking. Two-zone cooking, very important to both professionals and backyarders. It's the best way to manage a fire, cook with confidence. However, getting a two-zone fire in a round ceramic cooker, not very realistic. Why? Because it's round. And a Primo grills. And their game-changing oval design, the shape gives you the ability to execute two-zone setups that you desire. It also gives you the other ceramic grill benefits as well. Really, when you break it down, there's more than 60 different ways to configure the Primo cooker, so you are only limited by your culinary imagination. We all know that lift hinge has been revamped. It gives you that nice 8-pound lift, which is really light. There were more revamps on the top and the bottom air dampers as well, but you are waiting for more, aren't you? That's right. Primo has covered. The most anticipated accessory to date is out. You can get it right now. The Primo Grill Rotisserie will turn out great food, including everyone's favorite chicken wings with ease. Go online to primogrill.com, check out or visit your local Primo dealer, and pick one up there. Coming a bit later, the Primo Grill Pizza Accessory. Everybody loving pizza. So keep your eyes peeled, pun intended, for that one. Here's the bottom line. Best ceramics in the biz, yes. Patented technology, of course. True two-zone cooking capabilities and multiple sizes, yes. And if you just have to have a round Primo, they make those too. But really, consider the oval one for pizza. PrimoGrill.com for a dealer near you or check them out on Facebook or Instagram. Who's ready for a Primo? I'm ready for a Primo. We're back with Bob Shingler for the first time. Stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to the number one most downloaded barbecue and grilling podcast anywhere. The Barbecue Central Show. Howard Stern, Jim Rome, Dan Patrick, and Greg Rampey. The Mountain Rushmore of talk show entertainment. Now, let's get back to the Barbecue Central Show. Welcome back. This portion being brought to you by CookinPellets.com, your number one source for quality wood pellets for all your pellet-driven cookers. Visit CookinPellets.com for more information to view other products or, more importantly, to purchase. You can also check them out on Amazon. Dot com as well. My next guest tonight, responsible for bringing one of the most unique cooking platforms to market, all based on his want to what? Cook better fish. Now, you may see many of the top homes in the country using it inside or outside their homes or both. And you also see my first guest in the second hour tonight using it all the time in his videos. Ever heard of Evo? Of course. But if you haven't, you're about to get schooled right now. We race to the hotline. And welcome in first-timer to the show, Bob Schindler. Hey, Bob. Hey, Greg. Thank you very much. Hi. I just uh, wanted to say that Mark and Malcolm, real uh, real inspirations and uh, uh, love barbecue. Are you so followers was, of theirs by chance? Like, you know them? I am not. I am not, but I'm going to be. Yeah. Well, uh, Malcolm Reed has damn near 2 million YouTube subscribers. Uh, Mark's uh, started a little bit after him, but geez, I mean, he's got 40,000 YouTube subscribers. I would love to yeah. have uh, a combination of somewhere in the middle at some point by the time yeah. I call it quits, but who knows? So I'm glad uh, you could meet those guys and hear what they were all about. So before we talk about the Evo itself, can we get a little bit of a background about you, like where you grew up, uh, where you live now, food experiences as you come of age, and we can build in from there. Yeah, it's just a, it's a long story. I, I grew up in a family uh, that loved to cook and loved to entertain. Uh, my my mom was Italian. 
Um, so there's a lot of very good Italian cooking uh, going on all the time. Um, I have a younger brother. <clears throat> we used to get home a little bit early from school and do what kids do. They kind of forage in the kitchen and uh, hang out, wait for mom and dad to get home. And uh, and then we'd have dinner, you know, uh, we'd all cook together and, and uh, we had a big open kitchen with a, a dining room table and a big lazy Susan. And so we, you know, hang out in the kitchen and, and tell stories and very relaxing, uh, you know, kind of fun atmosphere. And then when we sit down at the dining room table and, and, uh, and we'd say the blessing and things would get a little bit more serious about school and about what we were doing during the day. And, and, uh, you know, so those were all really good formative experiences. And as I got, as I got older, uh, I really started to, to in, enjoy cooking different types of foods. And I think my palate, uh, increased, uh, I, I think I heard you say something about OPP, you know, I used to really kind of look at what other people were eating and try and figure out, uh, you know, what were those flavor profiles different from, you know, how I grew up. <clears throat> but, um, um, I, uh, my, my, and the other thing, the other formative piece was that my father was an engineer and a machinist. Um, you know, we grew up for a time in, in West Los Angeles on the beach, and then we moved to Oregon on a, a 60 acre cherry orchard. So, um, we had uh, to take care of all the farm implements and, and, you know, if we didn't have a tool, we would build a tool. So there was always a lot of really good experiences there. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I love to cook and entertain and you're right. Uh, uh, I think cooking salmon was, was the, the impetus behind the Evo grill. And, and I had an outdoor uh, open flame barbecue, I think, you know, uh, I won't say the name, but it was like what a lot of people have. It was just a gas grill. And uh, I was cooking salmon, as I've done many times before, and trying to entertain friends at the same time. And so the barbecue is is outside. And, you know, most of the party was, was inside it's instead of out on the patio. <clears throat> so I went inside to grab another glass of wine. And I turned around and looked outside and the salmon was on fire for the umpteenth time. And I think that that was <laughs> just one of those things that, that – uh, uh, caused me to start thinking about a different way to cook. And uh, I grew up around a lot of cast iron skillet cooking. Uh, we had a, also had a wood cook stove in our house. Um, it started off to be kind of a, um, a project of my father's, but uh, we restored it, moved it into the kitchen, put it on a hearthstone. And uh, so, you know, we do a lot of cooking in the wintertime on, on, on the wood cook stove, which has a, as you know, People that know, don't know a lot about wood cook stoves, they have a flat, a flat plate on top that's cast iron and and uh, wood firebox underneath with trivets. And uh, so my mom, she'd take chicken and and she'd rub it with garlic and olive oil, uh, like a thigh or, or a breast, or, and she'd just lay it down on the cast iron cast iron uh, top of the wood cook stove. So that was you know uh, pretty eye opening, and it was just something that we did, um, and. So, you know, I, I started thinking about, you know, how good pan seared salmon is and pan seared fish and pan seared steaks and, and all of those wonderful things. And I thought, you know, it would just be nice to have a larger cast iron skillet. And that was that was uh, the, the novel idea behind the Evo grill. So um, uh, I. I went out and bought a piece of steel and cut it into a circle and welded a flange on it. Uh, very much like I've heard people say, turn a cast iron skillet upside down, but it was, it was similar to that. <clears throat> um, I fabricated some circular burners. And so we had a circular burner actually to begin with, we had three burners, um, circular burner in the middle, uh, in the midsection and then around the outside section of a 30 inch diameter, uh, uh, circular piece of steel. And uh, it produced 1,500 degrees. So I realized that that was probably going to be a little bit too hot for, for salmon. And uh, after some tinkering, um, you know, found that uh, it, we, had a, we had the right temperature at about uh, 700 degrees as a top temperature. And, um, and playing around with it, you know, I, I started cooking for my mom and dad when I got to the point where I felt like, you know, this thing was going to work. And we were standing around with spatulas and just kind of, you know, stir fry a little bit of vegetables. I think we had some chicken at the time. And, uh, the thing that, the thing that struck me about it was this was the experience I grew up with as a kid hanging out in the kitchen. 
as opposed to, you know, um, the, the other side of the, the dining room table. And it created kind of this convivial, uh, fun atmosphere. And I gave the spatula to my mom and she's playing around and I gave it to my dad and he's playing around. My brother showed up, you know, and, and we're all kind of standing there cooking together. And it was like, wow, you know, this is really fun. So, um, I, I took this uh, early prototype um, uh, up to my apartment uh, where I was living up in, in Portland at the time and uh, started cooking for friends. And everybody, you know, everybody was just blown away by it. And, then, and, and especially, um, and you'll hear this from my friends that I'm a, a food purist and I really love the flavor of how things appear naturally. So, you know, if you go out and spend a lot of money, you know, like Mark and Malcolm were talking about, on, on Wagyu and, and a nice piece of steak, you know, for me, I like, I like to have that steak speak for itself or a really nice piece of salmon and have that salmon speak for itself or vegetables. So, and what, you know, cooking on a cast iron skillet does or black oil seasoned steel is it allows, you know, the, the natural fond and flavors to come out. Um, and so um, that was one of the things that, that I think everybody appreciated. And then, you know, um, I, I ended up hooking up with uh, a, a very famous Cajun chef, Paul Perdone, um, and experimenting a lot with a lot of his spices. So, you know, I was also into blackening. So, you know, I had this blackened chicken Cajun sandwich that everybody just thought was fantastic. But what I started to hear was, hey, I want one of those. And hey, I want one of those. And I thought, you know, hey, there's an idea here. <clears throat> so I, I uh, uh, filed a couple patents. And uh, I think it was three years in the making. And three years later, I quit my day job of, of 10 years and uh, started Evo in 2001. Lots to unpack so here, Bob. Can I stop you just for one second? Yeah. Holy moly. Um, you bet. So, <laughs> you know, as you conceptualize making what was then going to be like the prototype of Evo, how old, are, how old of a guy are you? Right now, I'm 63. Yeah, but originally when you conceptualized it, how old are you? Oh, geez. Um, I was probably right around uh, 49, oh. 49 years old. Okay, so not yeah. uh, not uh, super young. But um, now, yeah. how do you uh, hook up with a like a, a Paul Perdome? You run into him at like the Five and Dime, or did you have past business dealings <laughs> with him? Or how do you – he's not typically a guy you figure you would just run across. No, you wouldn't. But uh, he had some great spice, and uh, I, I started experimenting with uh, with a thing called poultry magic. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's a yep. fantastic yep. kind of cross flavor. Um, and uh, then, as as Evo um, started to take off, we did uh, shows at uh, at various places. One of them was Cater Source, and he was there, and uh, I got a chance to meet him and and uh, learn a little bit about. Uh, you know how he blends his spices. Although I think he's got secret ingredients that you'll you'll never know about. But uh, yeah. So you get um, in three years, you leave whatever you. What were you doing before Evo? Um, I was working for an Intel spinoff company called Faxback. So we were, it was more of a telecommunications company that that uh, built systems that uh, automated literature fulfillment to a fax machine. Pre, pre pre web yeah <laughs> well you know fax machine is still the, the the most ubiquitous protocol in the world yep. so you yep. can go places and always get a fax where you know you can't get a phone call or or you can't get the internet although that's you know changing a little bit when you decided that you were going to get evo off the ground as you said uh, you had filed a couple patents somebody coach you on that uh, or i mean typically you know guys getting into business for themselves the first times aren't necessarily technically savvy. So did you have like a mentor or somebody else that said, Hey, Bob, great idea. By the way, protect yourself. Um, no, it was just something I knew I needed to do. I, you know, I read about uh, patent law and I read about what inventors do that have ideas and how they want to protect ideas. And, and I thought, you know, this is a product that I really love that people around me really love. And, um, if I can, you know, uh, build a business around it, I better have some, some protection on the idea. So that's, yeah. Uh, and then I, I, I looked for a, a good attorney in Portland and I found a guy uh, who really liked what I was doing. I actually talked to several attorneys, but I finally found somebody that believed in me and believed in what I was doing. And, and, uh, and I went, you know, 
started that process with him. How quickly does it take off? Like when you start Evo as the company and until you, uh, did you know pretty much right away that this thing was going to be pretty successful? I had no idea. Hmm. Um, no idea at all. And, uh, you know, I knew it was successful in, in my heart and it was a way that I like to cook. And I, you know, I wanted the opportunity to share that with other people and, and everybody that I met that saw the grill, uh, loved it. The people that cook on it loved it. Um, uh, it just, you know, it, it's still taking off, you know, here we are. And, uh, it, it, uh, took a while in the beginning because those of us, uh, you know, when you introduced a circular flat top grill, it was a game changer. We created a new market segment because there was never a circular griddle. Uh, there's always square griddles, but you know, we were, we were going after, uh, uh, the residential marketplace up against open flame grills and smokers and Weber's and, you know, what we used to hear from people constantly is, you know, how do I get grill marks? And uh, <laughs> so it, it took us, it took us years and years and years, and uh, we don't hear that anymore. Yep. You know, we uh, so you know that there was some really strong competition, uh, but uh, you know, I, I think that that people um, are embracing, you know, what I recognized early on was, is the convivial nature of just being able to set up and, and cook, uh, you know, in an outdoor kitchen and in an area without all the smoke associated with open flame grilling. So you can stand there with your kids or your wife, um, and, um, you know, and, and, and just for instance, you can do pancakes and egg breakfasts in the morning with your kids. There's not an open flame that, you know, they have to be worried about. And, uh, it's, you know, it's just a really forgiving, uh, platform to cook on. Bob, I don't think that flat top cooking has seen the popularity in years past as it is now. I personally know people who would never buy a grill in a traditional sense, but they've purchased a flat top to use outside. Uh, the biggest right. mass market name right now is probably Blackstone. Seems to perform well. Obviously, the price points where the general public would like to see it or at least buy it. Um, accessories widely available. Um, there's some other Me Too units out there that uh, compared to the Blackstone. So as a prospective buyer, if somebody's looking to get into the flat top space, uh, how do you tell them or, or, or what should one consider when you look at, you know, option A being a Blackstone, option B being an Evo? I mean, there's a, a pretty considerable price tag jump, but obviously there's things that go along with that. So how do you coach people through that process? Well, <clears throat> I, you know, I subscribe to the theory of buy it once. So, buy the best and you know, only I'm, cry I'm, once. That's what we say in barbecue. Right, cry, <laughs> cry once, but you know, we, we've also said that we build an heirloom product. So it's something that you're going to, you know, you're going to have forever. Um, and uh, if you maintain it, it's not going to fail on you. Uh, it's just a beautifully made product. It's got great components. Um, and yeah, you know, I think Blackstone and, and the other flat top uh, products that are in the market, um, they're, they're great products for what they are. And uh, they're helping to build the awareness of what you can do with a, with a griddle. And so I think, you know, I think it's good for everybody. Uh, we just happen to build something that's circular and nobody else has got got circular, you know, in the category that we have. Is nobody else allowed to have circular in the category at this point? Well, um, there's, <laughs> it has to do with intellectual property. Uh, uh, on this, uh, on, on one of our models, we had a, a patent that lapsed, you know, so there's, uh, there's imitators that are in the marketplace that have come out with other circular flat tops, uh, Cuisinart being one of them. I haven't seen any other circular one yet so it, it, it's probably not yeah. you know making huge rounds yeah. at this point but is that a is that a portion of the business like do you have somebody on staff that's supposed to be watching patents to make sure that doesn't happen or i mean was it all right and you, you didn't really care to renew that one well a patent has a life so right. at, at the end of life then people can, oh then that's know, it you can't renew then, it again for another that's 10 it. years or whatever that's it yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah. Well, you just innovate around that. So, you, you know, you build better things. Right. And, you know, we have, we have uh, many, many patents. Um, and, uh, you know, we have freestanding grills and we have drop-in grills. So, uh, the model that I'm talking about was our free, you know, the original freestanding grill. Um, most 
of what you'll see. And, and, you know, you mentioned Sam, uh, the cooking guy, he uses a, an Evo grill in his outdoor kitchen and he has what's called an affinity 30 G. So it's a drop in designed to be dropped in and built into a counter. And that's got a whole separate set of, uh, of, of patents. Um, so, you know, we could run that one out here for quite a few more years. Uh, Bob, if somebody's interested, are you selling through the website? Do you sell through a dealer network? How do you do it? Everything goes through uh, through dealers. So uh, we don't sell direct. Uh, we do service all of the customers directly in, in as much as that we can. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, barbecue guys, uh, lots of brick and mortar retailers all across the United States, a lot of uh, uh, interior, uh, exterior uh, design consultants, landscape architects, um, you know, a whole host of people. Uh, you can go over to evoamerica.com. Uh, that's a website. So you can check out all the different products. I think there's like a commercial side, a residential side. So most of us would probably click the residential button and see what you have. But these can go inside as well. I mean, if you have a hood or, you know, whatever, some, some decent ventilation, you can put it inside your house too, right? Yeah. Well, we have... Um we have electric uh, circular flat top grills. So they have an electric heater that uh, is uh, unique to Evo. Uh, low amp draw, very high performance uh, that drops into a counter. Um, we also have uh, gas units that can drop in uh, indoors, which, you know, some of the most <clears throat> beautiful indoor kitchens I've seen have two islands. So they have an island with a traditional, like a Weber uh, open flame grill. And then they have another island that's got the Evo with a bunch of chairs around it. So it's just, you know, what we're building is is an appliance that, that uh, lets you have social cooking experiences, you know, where people can kind of hang out together around food with a glass of wine and, and share in the cooking experience. Great story shared here by Bob Shingler, first timer to the show. And uh, Bob, we got, you know, roughly five hours more of stuff that we can be talking about here. So we'll be sure to schedule up another segment coming up here sooner than later. Uh, In the meantime, evoamerica.com, the website. Uh, You can follow them on social media, of course. Bob, really appreciate the time this evening. Thanks so much for coming on. Hey, thanks, Greg. You got it. There he is, Bob Shingler right there. And once again, you can find him over at evoamerica.com. Click on the residential side. One of us is eyeing that professional wheeled cart. That would go great on the freshly ungrassed side yard. That's right. No more grass, side yard. Cement all over you. As it should be. All right. Let me talk to you quickly about pits and spits before we get ready for closing of the first hour and heading to the second since 1983. Pits and spits, handcrafting smokers, grills in Houston, Texas. In that time, pits and spits has established itself as one of the premier brands and high quality offset smokers, more recently pellet cookers. Pits and spits setting itself apart by using heavy seven and 10 gauge stainless in every cooker, fully welded construction that you can feel when you use the unit. And the 304 stainless roll-top lid and front shelf on every single smoker. So why does it matter? Well, by using higher quality materials, pits and spit smokers reach and maintain temperatures, allowing you to worry more about the meat than the heat. By providing fully welded smokers, you don't have to worry about the grease or smoke leaking out of the barrel, about that grill rattling apart as you move through the backyard. And by using 304 stainless, you're getting an heirloom quality product that you'll be able to pass down to your kids. Now, where some companies focus on being a low-cost provider, Pits and Spits focuses on craftsmanship and using quality materials. Are there cheaper ways to make these? Yes, but they don't like tack welds, cheap stainless electronics that you can't trust. Having in-house manufacturing gives them complete control of the design and standards, not something you find with products brought in from overseas. Their steel suppliers give you materials to be used in some of the harshest environments around, so you can use them in any and all conditions. And the controllers are made right here in the States. Unimpeded transparency into the programming. Bottom line, Pits and Spits has a dealer network across the country. If there isn't one close to you, feel free to call them at the shop, 844-650-6250. Whether you're a backyard grill master looking to cook steaks for the family or a competition team looking to smoke 50 racks of ribs, Pits and Spits has a product for you. You can check them out at pitsandspits.com, all spelled out, or see their pits in the wild across social media at Pits and Spits. Once again, all spelled out. We're back to wrap the first hour right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back. Continuing to produce incredibly mediocre content in an exceptionally professional way. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Craig Rampey. 
of this product bi- or this portion of the show being brought to you by Fireboard. Monitor up to six different temperatures simultaneously. Connect to Wi-Fi for cloud-based monitoring or connect via Bluetooth. And if you have the Alexa or the Google Assistant, you're in luck because Fireboard fully integrated with both. Find out more by visiting fireboard.com or call 816-945-2232. That's Fireboard 2, Fireboard 2 Drive, or Fireboard 2 Pro, all available right now. What are you waiting for? Stop being waiting for. Dan, instant messaging. Centralite should get a 70% discount on an Evo. Greg, make that happen. Totally agree, Dan. You couldn't be more right. I would like 70%. Not only would I like 70%, I would like to raise to a 30% on top of that, which of course is free. I'll work on the 70%, Dan. Report back next week and let you know if that's going to happen. Thanks again to Bill Shingler from Evo, founder of Evo. And also... We thank Malcolm Reed, Mark Williams from the first interview segment, How to Barbecue Right and Swine Life Barbecue. We are pointing to the second hour where we will reveal the winner of the Barbecue Central Show's American Idol Edition Season 2. Will it be me? Will it be John Solberg, Michigan Embedded Correspondent? You stick around and find out next. You're listening to the number one most downloaded barbecue and grilling podcast anywhere. The Barbecue Central Show.